Welcome to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk. Here's your host, Jason Davis. Happy Friday, everybody. Welcome into Soccer Morning right here on WorldSoccerTalk.com. This is a gigantic program we have lined up for you today. You are a very smart person for partaking in today's Soccer Morning. Let me just put that out there right now. Pat yourself on the back. Give yourself a mighty round of applause for checking out this particular program. We're going to cover some things in Europe, some things in the United States. It is a U.S. men's national team game day. That means we have a lot to talk about on the U.S. national team front. Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now is going to join us in just a little bit to preview USA Peru tonight at RFK Stadium, to talk a little bit about DeAndre Yedlin and his loan move to Sunderland, to talk about the goalkeeper situation in U.S. camp, several other moving pieces. Jurgen Klinsmann's out in the press making comments. These things are all on the table with Brian Sharetta. Following Brian Sharetta, we're going to have an Iceland party. We are going to party like we live in Reykjavik. We're going to go off over Iceland's one nothing win over the Netherlands yesterday in European championship qualifying our friend alexander einerson who you might remember from our discussions around aaron johansson and his decision to play for the united states over iceland he's been gone from the program for far too long iceland soccer is on the rise let's have a party with alexander i don't know what they uh what's the beverage of choice in iceland trevor you're a worldly person i imagine they have some good beer in Iceland, right? I imagine that the that the micro brew situation in Iceland is probably pretty good. I, I just that's just a feeling I get. So that should be a very fun discussion to celebrate uh, that big win with Alexander coming up. Let's go into the news. We'll start with those European qualifiers. Iceland beating the Netherlands, ten man Netherlands, one nothing at PSV uh, yesterday. Gilfi Sigurdsson scores the winning penalty. Iceland now tops Group A on eighteen points while the Dutch sit in third on 12. Now, it's not the end of the world for the Dutch. Uh, even if they finished third, they would go into a playoff, but it's not looking very good uh, for Danny Blind and company. Wales moves closer to qualification for Euro 2016 with a win at Cyprus, one nothing on a thumping header by a certain Gareth Bale. Belgium powers past B- Bosnia-Herzegovina, 3-1. Italy squeaks past Malta 1-0 in Florence. The Italians now sit atop Group H. Qualifying today, Germany facing Poland at 2.45 p.m. Eastern. That's on Fox Sports 1. Georgia and Scotland, 12 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Deportes, ESPN 3, and Watch ESPN. Greece and Finland, 2.45 p.m. Eastern on ESPN 3 and Watch ESPN. And Denmark and Albania, also on ESPN Deportes, ESPN 3, and ESPN, that's also at 2.45 p.m. Eastern. Those are just your highlights for today's action. As I mentioned, Jurgen Klinsmann in the press, making comments ahead of this friendly with Peru after the United States bombed out of the 2015 Gold Cup in the semifinal stage. Jurgen telling Stephen Goff of the Washington Post, it's a good thing you have so many comments and opinions because it shows that a lot more people care. They care about the game. They care about the national team. They care about saying their opinion. Do they understand what really happened in the Gold Cup? Some of them absolutely do, and a lot of people don't. I take it. It's not a big deal, but it also explains we have a long way to go to educate people out uh, on the game of soccer still in this country. So Jurgen poking the bear a bit, laid blame for some of the performance of the United States in the Gold Cup on the referees, which seems like a bit of a cop-out. That game tonight at RFK Stadium kicks off at 7.30 p.m. Eastern 
Coverage begins on Fox Sports 1 at 7 o'clock. There's a very good chance, in fact, it's about 99% now, that I myself will be attending that match in a fan capacity. Uh, I will let people know who are going to be at RFK, where I'll be if you guys want to hang out. All right. Mexico, also in the news. Mexican interim head coach Tuco Ferretti says the decision to leave off Jonathan and Giovanni Dos Santos was not punishment for their support of Miguel Herrera. Remember, Memo Ochoa, also not on this team. Lots of speculation in the Mexican press that this was punitive action because of those tweets and social media support shown for Herrera in light of the controversy he embroiled himself in by punching somebody at an airport. Sports Illustrated's Leave You Bird reports that several American youth soccer clubs have filed complaints with FIFA's dispute resolution chamber over solidarity payments. This is an ongoing story that affects the youth game and development in this country. Crossfire Premier, Dallas Texans Soccer Club, and Soccer's Football Club of Chicago have filed complaints totaling a combined $480,000. That's not a small amount of money, certainly not at that level. The, uh, the resolution, I'm not sure when that's coming down, but we'll look to get an update from Leeview and certainly dive back into this story as it continues to unfold. If you thought that FIFA putting together a reform committee under its own auspices, headed by Chairman Francois Carrard, would come to some sort of conclusion as to steps to take to clean up that organization, you were probably wrong. A two-day conference between, uh, with that, uh, with that uh, body has yielded no results. Chairman Francois Carrard said the committee is not yet at the proposal stage. Uh, and he also decided to use the opportunity when talking about their lack of movement to walk back his comments about the United States. If you remember, Carrard is the man who said that uh, soccer in the United States is an ethnic sport for schoolgirls. He questioned uh, the actions of the U.S. Department of Justice. He said on Thursday, I should speak less, acknowledging that ethnic was a word I, should, a word I used that did not buy me a, a great, uh, buy me a great publicity. He said, football in the U.S. is extremely important and has known fantastic development. I was, uh, so he was, uh, he was obviously taking that, that opportunity to blow some smoke, said he respects the American judicial process. All right, let's step aside. We'll cue ourselves, get ourselves ready. We'll cue up Brian Sharetta. We'll get ourselves ready. We'll talk a little U.S. men's national team ahead of a friendly against Peru tonight at RFK Stadium at Soccer Morning. WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Friday, the U.S. men's national team returns to action when it takes on Peru at RFK Stadium in an exhibition game. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to Matt Lichtenstager on Rabble.tv as he shares his thoughts and analysis live during the international friendly. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast called one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join Matt this Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern for USA against Peru on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call.
Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We're back on a Friday edition of Soccer Morning. Man, I'm fired up today. Woo! It is the U.S. Men's National Team. I just gave you a woo. That was completely, I did not plan that at all. It was a completely natural woo. I don't think I'm going to get Brian Sharetta from American Soccer now to woo on the air. Brian, how are you? Yeah, I don't think you're going to get me to woo either, but you know, I, I, those days are over. Oh, come on. You're never too old to woo. Brian, Brian, we've got a, a national team game tonight. We'll certainly get to what faces Jurgen Klinsmann and his team against Peru at RFK Stadium and what this means, obviously feeding into a game against Brazil next week and into October where they face Mexico for the birth of the Confederations Cup. But let's, let's start a little bit lower. Let's start with the U23s who played... England in a friendly yesterday. I think that was at Deepdale, if I remember correct, correctly. They lose one nothing. Um, overall, this performance and certainly the progress that this U23 group has made under Andy Herzog, is it enough to give us some confidence heading into that CONCACAF qualifying tournament, which kicks off in uh, less than a month? I think it's going to be a, a very close call as to whether or not this team makes it. <laughs> um, uh, you know, I guess the, the the good thing about the team is, is unlike 2012, where they disappointed, this team doesn't really have the expectations that that 20 that 2012 team did in qualifying. I mean, I think everyone knows this isn't particularly their strongest team. No one really knows the most about. No one really knows that much about this team. And you know, in in terms of who's the starting eleven and what is the best possible team that Andy Herzog sees out there. I mean, there's some very good team players being left off the roster in favor of some team players who are just without clubs or who are struggling to find clubs or get minutes at clubs. You know, Sean Davis and Tim Parker are, are not, are, haven't gotten a sniff of this team, whereas guys like Will Packwood, who hasn't been able to latch onto a team, and Benji Hoya, who hasn't played for a second-tier team in Mexico yet this season. So it's, it's very much a mysterious group. Um, no one really knows what the, you know, there's always been a problem releasing players throughout the whole time. So, yeah, they lost to England. It was a very good English team. But, uh, you know, who knows? There were some good things to take away from it. They won't probably see a team that good against qualifying. So uh, it's, a, it's a mysterious team. I'm looking forward to seeing if, uh, if, the, team, if the team maybe has some changes last minute so heading, in, heading into qualifying that we don't know about. Um, your guess is as good as mine. Mm. Now, now, I think that the weakness, I think a lot of people would point to some of the weaknesses being up top. I mean, certainly you've got, and again, it's about playing as a team, not necessarily individuals, but you've got Cameron, right. you've got Cameron Carter-Vickers and Matt Miazga in the middle. That, that should be pretty stout. Uh, you know, that's, everyone likes what they did at the, at the World Cup, no doubt, uh, but Shane O'Neill was actually one of the better performers yesterday against England. He came up with some set, nice interceptions, nice blocks. He was the team captain. You should, you know, that's always something you want to look into. I mean, he, he, if the guy's wearing the captain's armband, he's probably in the guy's plans. Um, so, yeah, there are some pretty good central defenders. Fullbacks is is really, really kind of off right now. And uh, I mean, there's there's weaknesses all around. I mean, there's central midfield. I would think is the one area of the team that that and central defense and central midfield. Um, I think are the ones that you should probably feel comfortable with. It's the fullbacks, strikers, and, and wingers, mm-hmm. and outside midfielders. I think are the real uh, areas of concern. But yeah, I mean, Kevin Carter Vickers didn't play yesterday. Uh, I think he's going to be playing um, uh, against Qatar on Monday, I believe, because um, uh, Matt Miazga has to return okay. back with the Red Bulls. So, but yeah, central midfield has guys like Will Trapp, Louis Gill, Emerson Hyman, Matt Polster. Those are some good names there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think I think Cameron Carter Vickers made an appearance. There were a rash of substitutions in about the 62nd, 63rd minute. So. 
I, I think you maybe saw some time, but that was another way, another reason to sort of be unclear of what uh, you get out of a game like that. I mean, again, England wins the game. The Americans give up one goal. They they maybe deserve to give up a, a one or two more, depending on how the how you view the 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 um, uh, the, the the balance of play. Uh, but again, it's it's maybe it's maybe up top because it's Kisavetter, it's it's Hernandez, it's wh- well, where Jordan Morris is going to start uh, uh, once he's healthy. I mean, he's going to be around for qualifying. I think he's just there uh, to stay at Stanford to, to you know rejuvenate his leg, and I mean because he had the surgery during the off season. I mean, Jordan Morris is going to be a big part of the team's offense up top, and then the other forward. You know, at this point, it could there will be Rubio Rubin. Um, if they get, if they're able to get him released from mm-hmm. Utrecht, I think that the, the, well, the discussion behind the scenes there is going to be ongoing. But I mean, Ruben and and um, Rubio, Ruben, uh, Jordan Morris forward tandem, I think, is one that Andy Herzog and the team would probably feel pretty good about. Sure, going but into but again, we we fine. we get into that issue of when they're available. Can he get them all together? Can they yeah. can they get that those reps together as a team to get them uh, comfortable enough playing as a team to go into quali- World Cup quali- or sorry uh, Olympic qualifying? And handle that business. And you pointed out the release issue is negotiations mm-hmm. with Utrecht over Rubin. There's the, the the tournament actually starts on the first for the Americans. I think that's a I think that game is at Sporting Park. But the when the the FIFA window doesn't open up until the fifth. So how do, how do you even handle something like this? I mean, first I guess the question for me is on the MLS side: Are all of these MLS teams just going to be happy to to let their guys go? On you know, in time for the for the start of the tournament because it all feeds into the the U.S. What's good for U.S. soccer is good for MLS. Yeah, I mean, I think I mean, there's never been a, an MLS player not released for um, for important, meaningful games in qualifying, youth national team qualifying, ever. I mean, I, I, I as long as I can remember, there's never been a whether it be U17, U20, or Olympic qualifying. Or the world, or the respective World Cups or Olympics final games, like uh, MLS players have always been released. I mean, and I don't see that ever changing. It's just kind of like it's almost become like a code of conduct right now. Um, they're not happy about it. Yeah. I mean, the New York doesn't want to let Miazga go for these games. No, but no, of this, not. this is this has just been the, this has just been the norm. And and here's another thing too. And this is this is I think people are just starting to realize this. Teams, clubs are never required to release players for um, youth national team games, regardless of whether or not it's in a window. Ah. So even if it's in a window, like it's a youth, if it's a youth national team game, they have to release for full national team games because those are registered with FIFA as official, as official games, even if they're friendlies they're during the windows. But youth national team games, no, there's never a required release. It's usually just customary. I wonder, so the fact that they're playing these games in the windows is, is, is largely meaningless, okay. although they try to work with some... Some some team it maybe gives well, I mean, uh, an excuse to let them players right know. right if if the if those clubs aren't playing during the window they have less of a reason to say no but mm-hmm. as you said you know this is a this is an ongoing problem and, and I wonder if we're going to reach I mean this may be a discussion for a different day but I wonder when we're going to reach that tipping point where some MLS team says no no uh uh-uh, uh we're not letting our guy go we're in the middle of a playoff chase we're three points off of you know of making it in. There's no yeah. way we're letting go Matt Miazga or or you know uh, or Mark Pelosi for for San Jose or somebody like that. I mean the, these guys are are playing and it's good that they're playing significant roles for their club right. teams. That's that's kind of the point here. All right, let's let's you know let's move on from the U23s again. A lot of things, a lot of moving pieces. Andy Herzog, I think right now Andy Herzog's job, despite what's going on with the U.S. national team and uh, uh, being a month and a couple of days away from playing Mexico for the Confederations Cup. 
Andy, Andy Herzog's job is the most difficult one in U.S. soccer at the moment. Yeah, it is. And they're interlinked, too. I mean, qualifying for the Confederations come and qualifying for the Olympics are stated goals for U.S. soccer together. They're joined at the hip. Um, and, 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 you know, it all fits under Klinsman, not as like the head coach, but as the technical director. So, I mean, October is a, is a huge, huge uh, bellwether month, I think, for uh, Klinsman under the technical director head. All right, let's uh, let's move on. Let's uh, let's talk before we get again before we get to USA Peru, uh, which which is a friendly. Um, we've got a we've got some movement in terms of of American players and uh, their club situations. I guess the the only one I can think of at the, at the, off the top of my head right now is DeAndre Yedlin getting a loan move to Sunderland from Tottenham Hotspur. Uh, it was going to be difficult for him to get playing time at Spurs. The a loan of any kind sort of makes sense, but we always have to consider the individual circumstances. Uh, Brian, from your perspective, Sunderland a good place for DeAndre Yedlin to play his soccer this year? Yeah, I mean, I think it, it offers an opportunity. I mean, I like Dick Avocado. I mean, I think he's, you know, he, he, he's inclined to go with young players. Uh, I think it's still going to be tough when you go to a team that's in a relegation battle as opposed to a mid-table club because there's a philosophy of, you know, when you're in a dogfight, you know, sometimes you don't want to go with a guy who's played one club game uh, so far in this calendar year. I mean, you usually want to go with, it's not a kind of time to groom thing, groom players. And Sunderland has no, uh, no, they have no incentive to develop DeAndre Yedlin. He's not their player. So it's just a matter of what DeAndre can do right now, what not, not what he can do in the future. And, uh, yeah, I think it's going to be, uh, um, you know, it's going to be really important for, I think there's going to be openings. I think he will get some time, but it's a question of, of how he does when he's on the field. There's going to be a lot of pressure when he, when he gets his first couple opportunities because, if he doesn't take advantage of, 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 his, of his minutes in the first couple of opportunities, it's going to be very hard for him to see the field again. So these first couple of games, whenever he gets on the field, is going, to be, um, is going to be very, very important, probably among the most important club minutes he's ever played. And word out of, uh, word out of Sunderland is that he's viewed as an option both at fullback and uh, on the wing? That's what I'm told. Yeah, I'm told that most of the teams that were interested in taking him on were uh, – looking at him strictly as a winger, but uh, Sunderland is looking at him at potentially both options. So that's good. Obviously, the more options, the more the more, more likelihood is you're going to play, the more opportunities. So uh, that, that's something that he does have going in his way, for sure. All right. Let's, uh, but, uh, I, I just realized there's another youth team we should address quickly, and that's the U-20s. They've started uh, the cycle for the 2017 uh, U-20 World Cup. We've got a team that Tab Ramos has called in. Uh, they're going to be playing in a tournament in in Serbia. I believe they they all, they lost yesterday uh, yeah. in in that tournament. So how are things going? And and give me a sense of this group. I mean, I think it's going to be a very good group when all said and done. I think right now, in the very early part of the cycle, is about just getting as many people playing, yeah, as many many people minutes as possible to try to look at the the players on the team and uh, and see what kind of talent you have. Uh, you know, I think it's not going to be till next year when when he starts having he starts to have a really good idea, and particularly after the U17 World Cup is going to be an important time for Tab because that's a, that's at least when uh, another big core of that team is going to be able to join with him, whether it be you know Christian Pulisic or you know uh, Luca De La Torre, a few other good players that you know are with the 17s, and when they move up after that after their World Cup in I believe it ends in November. Uh, then, then the twenties are going to be full, full, you know, full steam ahead. But I think it's going to be a good group of players. But right now, it's the results are kind of largely meaningless. It's about mm. just 
getting, you know, as many people minutes as possible. And, and there's not a lot of names from this group that, that I know. I imagine a lot of people are, are probably behind the eight ball on that as well, but we'll, we'll find out about them. The, the ones that stick out, uh, Eric Palmer Brown's in this team uh, on the, at this tournament, Kyle Scott from Chelsea, who we've heard a little bit about. Uh, tried Christian Lucatero, who just signed a homegrown contract uh, mm-hmm. with the Houston Dynamo. Christian Lucatero, who has also dabbled in playing for Mexico, so that's something to watch there as well. Uh, and I'm, am I seeing there's an Anolfo here? Is that is that Kurt's yeah, son? It's Kurt, yeah, it's Kurt's son. Yeah, interesting. Okay, and, and, and another another thing too is that you have to remember Gideon Zalalem and uh, Eric Palmer Brown, not Eric Palmer Brown, excuse me, Kramer Carter Vickers are also eligible uh, with the with the 23s to play with the U20s as well. Whether or not they are willing to you know do another cycle or whether they want to move on uh, to uh, bigger and better things within U.S. soccer mm-hmm. remains to be seen. But if they move down, too, then, then there's another piece of the starting lineup that is just uh, can make the team outstanding. All right, let's talk about uh, quickly then Gideon Zalalem, who you brought up. He uh, makes that lone move to Rangers. Mm-hmm. They're obviously in the uh, Scottish Championship, the second division up there. Some questions about the level of play and whether that would push him. Um, you know, my argument would be that, hey, being in that pressure cooker of playing for a gigantic supported club like Rangers is probably good for his development. And he started well. Yeah, he started very well. They like him a lot. And I mean, he's passing very well. Um, you know, he's he's able to implement his, have his, put his footprint on the games that he's playing and, and do what he wants to do out there. Yeah, the level of play is not good, but you're absolutely right. The pressure of these games is not your typical Scottish second tier. I mean, this is about reviving one of your one of England's or sorry, not England's, Great Britain's oldest and most storied clubs. I mean, this is this is a. I mean, they, they still get close to forty thousand people a game. This is not uh, you know, and they want to win. They demand to have their place back up there among the elite teams in the country, and they or maybe the best team in the country. And what they what happened a couple of years ago is humiliating. And and Gideon is now a part of reviving like a very old and prestigious club. And I think that that's gonna you know he has the technical ability. Whether or not this is gonna help him on the maturity level, which is which we understand, and we've seen has been a weak point with some of America's top, you know, uh, most hyped prospects is that maturity issue and being able to play down a level and, and do whatever it takes to get playing time and maybe realizing you don't deserve to start for Arsenal or Bayern Munich, not to mention any names or other <laughs> big clubs, but, 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 you know, uh, but maybe go down and, and go to a level that you think is below you just to learn how to handle that pressure. And mm-hmm. he's doing it. I really like the move a lot. Yeah, I think it's. Uh, I think it, it may end up working out for Zalalem in terms of his uh, his progress. As you said, technically, it's not an issue for him. It's it's, it's those other things. It's the mental game, which we yeah, know. Yeah, and this is and this really addresses what some youth players have lacked. I mean, yeah. he, he, the way he's willing to do this tells me he might not end up like a couple of the other people. I don't want to mention. Yeah, because uh, we know that the difference between a top level player is not necessarily the physical gifts. It's about that that mental sharpness and, and staying on top of your game. And growing as much as you can. All right. So we we talked about Zalala. You know, you didn't you didn't want to mention the game, but I feel as though we're required to give some sort of update on the plight of Julian Green in Germany, a, a player who look the loan was not good last year, as you mentioned with with Yedlin. It's it's a matter of these clubs sometimes taking on players who they they don't they're not interested in whether or not they're going to develop that player. They they want somebody who can help them win. Now he clearly wasn't that guy for for uh, for Hamburg and. Now we see him deciding to stick with Bayern Munich and play with the U23 team again. That's that is not progress. 
No, it's not. I mean, he, he's, he did that a couple of years ago. I mean, he's back at the same level. And he's not scoring as much as he did two years ago for Bayern Munich's reserves. I mean, he's not even the young, youngest kid on this team anymore, and younger players at Bayern are, gonna, are passing him. Look, the problem with him is that the Hamburg loan was not necessarily what he did the first team. It was his reluctance to play with Hamburg's reserve team. And when he and and that I think really rubbed people the wrong way. He didn't have the stature to do that. I mean, you just, I mean, to to you know, he kind of tried to force his way along with the with an old and storied Bundesliga team that was yeah they were struggling, but um, you know it was it, he's in a bad situation. And look, the fact he's not with the U twenty threes and he's not with the full national team, he's eligible for both. I think that he's really at a crossroads right now, and the fact that and the fact that he is still you know playing fourth-tier German soccer, full-time, I don't even think he's training with the first team anymore, is is telling. And he's missing key years of his development right now. I mean, there's no substitute for playing first-team minutes somewhere, not reserve team, not practice. There's no substitute for it. And I think, you know, the fact that he is, he still at the, at, he didn't want to go out on loan and he's still there at Bayern Munich U23 team is very telling. And the fact that U.S. soccer hasn't selected a period of, of these teams is, uh, it, it, I think, is indicative. Uh, I think that there's, a, there's some disappointment there if you look at just how things have played out. And, uh, and it's up to Julian. The ball is in his, in his court. Is he going to go like, is he going to have the guts to do something like Gedi and Zalalem did? Or is he gonna, you know, do maybe something that like Freddie Adu did? You know, it's, yeah. I mean, it, you gotta, it, it's up to him right now. I mean, you can't. He, he's only so so long even put in a good situation. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, he, Jurgen Klinsmann and other guys within U.S. Soccer are, you know, they, they can't do, they, can, they can't do it for him. Yeah. Uh, well, it, that leads me to a question briefly here, and we'll move on from Julian Green. But do you? Do you put any of the blame for for what's going? Look, it's ultimately down to him. He's got to make his. He's got to make good choices. He's got to put in the effort. But do you put any of the blame on uh, for Julian Green and his his stalling on Jurgen Klinsmann and, and what he did with him last year? Oh, that's a difficult question. I mean, I think in hindsight, was it the best thing to rush him onto the senior team as quickly as they did? I don't think so, uh, personally. I mean, I think when when we really lament how. How, how much the media, us in the media, hype some young players, especially like someone like me who covers the U.S. U.S. national teams. I'm always kind of worried about it. Um, but at the same point, uh, you know, if you put somebody on the World Cup team and you leave the all-time leading scorer off the team, and you talk about like how he, how, you know, he's on Bayern Munich and he's a, such a great talent, he deserves to be on the World Cup team. That's going to create the hype, not the media. And I don't think the hype has really helped Julian Green out a lot. I think. You know, the, the, you know, like, again, like when you look at how he acted on uh, on his loan to Hamburg and didn't play with the reserves uh, that one time, and just refused to. I mean, that, that that sounds like a kid who, you know, maybe thinks he's better than he is. Uh, we'll see. I mean, it's tough to say. Well, but, it, it, um, I don't. Uh, playing in the World Cup could obviously, you know, inflate one's ego, not just Julian Green, but anyone's, especially as a teenager. Sure, sure. And maybe maybe this is all our fault for not being educated soccer fans in this country, right? <laughs> Uh, <laughs> I'm not going to spend a lot of time on what Jurgen Klinsmann said to Stephen Goff, but I, I obviously this is a game tonight at RFK Stadium that will begin a process. I mean, you hope if you're a U.S. national team fan, um, begin a process of getting back to something approaching their usual standard again, especially as Mexico looms large in Pasadena on the 10th of October. So 
What does Gregory Klinsman want to get out of this? I mean, what, what do we want him to get out of this game? He's talking about using his full complement of, of substitutions, which I actually think is counterproductive in a lot of ways. Yeah, I mean, he's got to look at what works right now because what, what happened at the Gold Cup, regardless of how well he thought the team played against Jamaica and, and there was good things, but the problem at the Gold Cup were not against Jamaica. It was the totality of the, of the tournament. Uh, I mean, I didn't think they played. Uh, yeah, you know, if, if, you, if you want to say something, if you want to talk about the team's performance at the Gold Cup, the game against Jamaica was probably their best performance, but that was the problem. I mean, they, the group staged, and even the pre-tournament friendly against Guatemala, just the team didn't look good. I mean, they, they, were, they were getting outshot dramatically, and, and teams like Haiti were taking it to them for long stretches of the, of the game, and these are teams that historically the U.S. has pounded, so you have to kind of ask why that wasn't the case. So, I mean, yeah, so for this game, I think it's really, you know, you have a lot of it. You have some guys coming back into the team that have been out for a while. It's quickly integrating them. I mean, Jeff Cameron was sorely missed at the Gold Cup. You know, where are you going to put him? And then there's also the fullback situation is, is, is a mess. Uh, it's going it's to be down to players playing there out of position. And there's, there's not much, you know, wingers or wide players either. So it's, um, you know, it's, it's really a bunch of moving parts right now to try to figure out what works. And, and he has to kind of go through the whole, the whole um, substitution list because right now I think there's so many question marks. I mean, how are, is, is Morales, who was dismissed from the Gold Cup team after the group stages, saying, as Clemson said, things aren't quite right or quite clicking with him. He said something along those lines with him yet. He needs more time. Well, he doesn't have much time, but no. Alfredo Morales is playing pretty well for the Bundesliga. Like, does he, is he, are these two games going to be the time he needs to get him to bring that Bundesliga quality over to the national team, especially without Michael Bradley there for the first game? Danny Williams, too. I mean, these are guys that have all been on the precipice of becoming regular members of the team but haven't quite made that jump. So those are, these are things that you have to see whether or not there's a whole list of players, whether it be Aaron Johansson, who's been on the bench behind Josie, can he kind of become that scoring threat behind Clint Dempsey? Because there's no real plan B. It was either Clint Dempsey scores or, or has a hand in creating a goal, or they don't score. Who's going to really step up and become that offensive threat? Yeah. Jermaine Jones. He has, he's rejoining the team. So there's all kinds of people either rejoining the team or, or trying to you know, become, increase the role on the team right now who haven't quite been there yet. Yeah. So there's a lot of moving parts right now, it's, and it's, it's, it's big on the individual level. The number of recalls here is... I think indicative of something in terms of Clemson's thought process. No matter what he mm-hmm. says, uh, there's also and and you know he we, we, he sort of can't be too experimental at this point. Not with right. limited time between now and Mexico, uh, but he is working in some new elements. One of those new elements is Andrew Wooten, who has uh, started out the season very strong in in the second division in Germany. A guy that you've profiled. Uh, Twenty five years old is kind of late to be making your entry into the national team um, potentially as a striker option. What does Wooten bring to the table that maybe we haven't seen in this group? Because if he's not significantly better or of a different kind of player than what you've already got, why bring him in? Well, he, he, he is. I mean, he's an, he's an actual target forward. I mean, he can play the center forward. I mean, if you've ever seen him play, he's, he's a strong guy and he has some speed. I mean, if you look at some of the forwards we've, you know, that, that the U.S. team has tried, whether it be Aaron Johansson, who's, who's almost can drift back and play midfield roles, create, and then he's very slick in the box. He makes great moves, you know, and then Chris Wondolowski, too, um, you know, these kind of forwards. But Andrew's a big, strong guy. I mean, he, he has some speed. He can, he's played out wing before. But here you have a guy who, um, who has a little bit more power in the box, too. And I think that that's particularly useful if uh, you're playing against, you know, certain types of opponents. 
And I think if, uh, you know, I think, is he going to be a savior? Is he going to be a revelation? No, I think he's, a, he's an above, I mean, he's been around long enough to prove that he's a, he's an above average two good in his league of forward. And that's pretty much, that's it. But that's still pretty good. Um, I think, you know, so I think he can get him through a rough patch too, particularly if, if other forwards aren't stepping up right now at the moment. Mm, well, and one of the forwards that uh, didn't step up at the Gold Cup and was sent packing was Joe Zyathdor. He's back in mm-hmm. the team. He's had a good run for TFC. Does that confidence carry over? Yeah, I mean, it only helps. Josie's a player who lives and dies by his confidence. I mean, he's, I mean he, he disappears for months at a time, and then for the next few months right afterwards, He's, he's like an elite world-class striker. Like it's it, it, it's a paradox with him, and uh, you can only hope that those goals are are a clicking turning point. And I think uh, Peru and Brazil will show us whether or not Josie's you know returning to that level where when he can't stop scoring. So it's um he, there's no there's no striker more indicative of feast or famine than than Josie. I mean he he exemplifies that. So uh, the fact that he's scoring, even if they're uh, you know. He scored against Orlando when Orlando was down to nine players. It doesn't matter. He's used to getting the ball into the net. And I think that, that that's only going to help, obviously. And I think it's, he's, again, I would like to see those two paired together. I mean, Josie and Aaron Johansson, that would be, um, that'd be an interesting pairing. Obviously, they were former teammates in Holland. But I think that they, both of them can kind of complement each other because they have uh, pretty different kind of games. Yeah, certainly. Uh, now, th- these, are two sort of, these are two very different friendlies. I mean, both South American sides, but... We know from a quality standpoint, Brazil brings a little bit more than Peru does, and yet I don't know what to expect in terms of how, you know, I, I guess what we want to see is the Americans on the front foot, but is that possible without Michael Bradley and the team? Sure, it's possible. It's possible without Clint Dempsey. Um, and there's, there's still a lot of talent there uh, in the midfield. I mean, Danny Williams, Alfredo Morales, and I mean, these are all guys that are uh, capable of playing against good, high-level competition. Uh, the question is, is whether or not they're going to be put into a, a system and a format that is that is that is used to that, and um, we'll see. I mean, it, this is where it comes down to Jurgen Klinsmann to put players in a in a position to succeed, and to when a player is playing well at his club, to bring you know to be able to uh, you know transfer that success from the club level to the to the uh, to the national team. I mean, you, it, it's disappointing, I think, for many fans when they see players do well at the club level, and then when they come to the national team, they, they, they look like just another cog in the machine. Like, they, they don't stand out. They, they, just, it's, it, it, they, they don't really add as much as people thought. I mean, I think it comes down to the coach, and we've seen this before Jurgen Klinsmann, too. I mean, a bunch of many other coaches, even at the youth teams. You just need to be able to – it's up to the coach, really, to, to get that success to translate over and put everyone in their best position to make the best impact on the field and not have people, you know, Jurgen talks about comfort zones and having people stay out of their comfort zones, you know. I think another approach, I think, is to get players into their comfort zone, you know, put them into their best position to succeed. Um, so we'll see. Um, but, again, there's so many people injured in this game, uh, like at fullback, for example. I think you're going to see players playing out of position, you know, Jeff Cameron might play on the right, Cameron might play on the left back role. I mean, it's... It's, uh, I don't know how these things are all going to come together, but I mean, who knows? Uh, sometimes players can become revelations in these games when you least expect it. And at center back, any hints over what he's going to do? He went with Brooks and Alvarado to a yeah. fault in the Gold Cup, and now he's got Gonzalez and he's recalled Beasler. You know what? This is going to be the, the starting lineup in the central defense is going to be the most telling. Omar Gonzalez and Matt Beasler have had success, both of them against Mexico. Ventura Alvarado and um, John Brooks, you know, struggled at the Gold Cup. 
So whether or not it, does he believe in his assessment in the Brooks Alvarado pairing to be that you know the, the, his first choice center central defense, or is he going to go against a, a team that's proven to win, particularly against Mexico? Um, you know, it's going to be that's going to be very very telling. And um, uh, who knows? I mean, he looks like he's he brought in this exp- this lineup for experience, and I think he he values experience. So. Um, based on his call-ups and the reluctance to go with any kind of new players that are doing well, particularly in MLS or abroad. Um, you know, I think I'm, I'm, my bet is that you're going to see Omar and Matt Beasler, but it's going to be very telling. No, by no means am I certain about that. Brian Sharetta, American Soccer Now. Follow him on Twitter, at Brian Sharetta. He'll be in D.C. covering USA-Peru this evening. Uh, Brian, thank you very much for the time, and enjoy the match. Maybe I'll run into you some, somehow. I look forward to it, Jason. Uh, Thank you very much. There goes Brian Sharetta. Good stuff from him. When we come back, we're going to talk to Alexander Einersen. He's Icelandic. I'm sure he's a very happy man today. Iceland beating the Netherlands in European qualifying. Talk about that. Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. This Friday, the U.S. Men's National Team returns to action when it takes on Peru at RFK Stadium in an exhibition game. For a different experience, I'd like to invite you to mute the TV and listen to Matt Lichtenstager on Rabble.tv as he shares his thoughts and analysis live during the International Friendly. With Rabble, the concept is simple. All you have to do is tune into the broadcast on TV, press the mute button, and then head on over to Rabble.tv to listen to the broadcast on your desktop, through your iOS app, and now through your mobile browser. You can join in, too, by posting your questions or observations in the comments section. And if you have an iPhone, install the Rabble TV app and add a comment to the broadcast message board, then listen live via the app. Or why don't you create your own broadcast called one of your team's games? It's easy. Sign up for free today and try it out. Join Matt this Friday at 7 p.m. Eastern for USA against Peru on Rabble.tv, where it's your team and your call. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. It is a Friday edition of the program. We're coming out of a discussion about the U.S. Men's National Team and straight into a discussion about European qualifying for 2016 in France. One of the big winners yesterday. Iceland won nothing over the Netherlands in the Netherlands. And to talk about that from an Icelandic perspective, our friend Alexander Einersen. Uh, as close as I'm going to get to the pronunciation. Alexander, how are you? I'm very good, very good. You're getting, you're getting better with each time. So, ah, yeah, yeah, sure, it's, it's yeah. Good, yeah <laughs> you're being too nice. Um, uh, Alexander, Alexander, that was obviously a, a massive victory for Iceland yesterday. Gilfie Sigurdsson with the winning penalty. The, that, you know, the Dutch went down to 10 men. There are a lot of ways to look at that match and sort of say, well... You know, was it Iceland being good or was it the Dutch being bad? But I don't think it matters from your perspective. No, it doesn't at all. I mean, you know, in the end, of course, I mean, we're not blind. We realize that we were lucky that the Dutch lose Arjen Robben after less than half an hour and they get this red card and uh, obviously we get a penalty. So you could say that everything absolutely went with us. But in the end, in the end I don't think you beat the Netherlands at home on pure luck. So... Uh, so I would say it was deserved. I mean, tactically, we were brilliant. You know, we kept them from creating good chances. And uh, in the end, it was just a magnificent team performance and effort. But, of course, with a 
this little bit of luck to to make this dream a uh, reality. Now there are uh, three matches left in uh, in qualifying in the group stage in Iceland. Um, you know, well, in, in this particular for this case, Iceland finishes first. They're in the tournament. That's what they want. Eighteen points after seven matches. Two points ahead of the Czechs and six points ahead of, or sorry, uh, eight points ahead of the Dutch. If I'm not, if I got that right, yeah, yeah, exactly, um, exactly. So w- what you know, what accounts for? I mean, we, we saw them come close to the World Cup last year. Um, mm-hmm. This is obviously a a step forward, building on that momentum. It wasn't lightning in a bottle for 2014. It it carries through. How how do the how have the you know how has your country managed that? Uh, you know, uh, uh, it was it was it was tough for us not to get to the World Cup. I mean, we were very disappointed, and I was in Croatia, of course, and it didn't go through. But what I appreciate is that the the guys didn't see this as the as their only chance, you know, to ever go to a big tournament gone wrong. They just saw this as a as a good place to continue from and just try to build on that and get to the Euros. And the guys are just more experienced and. Uh, you know, better players, and it's just, you know, everything is working out very well, and uh, it's, of course, great to be a part of this country when things are going so so well, so yeah, to speak. And you and I, Alexander, have talked about Iceland and, and their growth as a, as a football footballing country over the last couple of years. Um, for a lot of people, it kind of boggles the mind. How does this tiny, tiny nation uh, put together such a good team and produce so many uh, high high quality professional players, and uh, you know a lot of people want to point to uh, you know efforts, a lot of a lot of indoor soccer, a lot of uh, small sided mm-hmm. stuff like that, and, and clearly a, an investment in coaching. I mean, is it is it as simple as that? Well, I think you know you know in the end you know it's it's all about. I mean, where I, where I'm standing right now, I'm at a I'm at a stadium where I trained as a kid, and I trained on you know. I trained on, you know, what do you call it, dust. I was, the field was just made of tiny little rocks, you know, and now we have these artificial fields and indoor palaces. So a lot has changed over the years, and of course that plays a part. And uh, in fact, also the fact that we've been investing a lot in coaching. But I think it's also just more about, you know, that football is just growing so fast here and more people are training every day and the kids are outside all the time. And uh, we're just, we seem to have some kind of, uh, we always like football, but there just seems to be kind of a football mania going on these days. And perhaps, you know, stuff like the internet helps with that. You can see everything that's going around and you can read more and watch videos from wherever you want. And I just think it's, it's creating more interest and more passion. And the guys, the young guys who are playing football outside, they just want to be, you know, mm-hmm. superstars, if you can put it that way. Mm-hmm. I'm looking at this, uh, I'm looking at the team that, that, that play the Dutch. And we'll play Kazakhstan on the sixth. I mean, the the average age of the midfield is something like twenty six years old. The average age of your forwards is is fairly low, except for Go Johnson. And then you have maybe some some experience in in the back. But this is mm-hmm. this is, again, you know, sort of identifying that this is the prime for everybody. So this is the opportunity they've taken. They've taken it on. Um, no, I, I don't imagine that there's a lot of expectation that the Kazakhs will, will present a challenge, but you know, if you win that match, where the thing stands, that that's it, right? Yeah, exactly. We only need one point from our last three games to qualify, and I'm I'm sure we'll we'll clinch our qualification on on Sunday against the Kazakhstan. With all, all due respect to them, they are you know they are not a team that should pose a considerable threat if we play play our game. But obviously, the guys will be. Very pumped and excited, but that's what I think is what they learned from Croatia when they just couldn't rise to the occasion in the second game. I think that's what they learned, and it won't happen again. They'll they'll come with their hats 
their hats on the right place, and uh, we, I think we're going to finish it you know, on d- Sunday, hopefully. One of the other fascinating things, is certainly from an American perspective, where we tie so much of what our national team might be to the domestic league that we have here that's, that's obviously growing and, and, and trying to, to make a difference in terms of development. You know, Iceland doesn't have what we, anybody would call a, a big domestic league, Alexander. Obviously, you know that. Uh, this, mm-hmm. roster, this roster had two domestically-based players on it. Everybody else has gone abroad to play their football, and for good reason. Um, how, how does that dynamic work? I mean, how do you, how do you sort of rationalize that, you know, we, we're going to grow them until they're 13, 14, 15 years old, and then we're going to send them off into the world to become good players? Yeah, yeah, that's pretty, that's pretty much it. You know, as soon as, as soon as somebody is good over here, he's, he's gone somewhere else. And uh, that's probably just, you can look at the Icelandic League as, uh, as kind of a talent pool, you know, where... Uh, where young players take their first steps and get their experience against, you know, you know, older players who are not, unfortunately, not good enough to go abroad. But, you know, that's just, we like it the way it is. I mean, we enjoy watching our league, but the thing we enjoy more is seeing our good players go abroad and succeed. And that's what usually happens because, you know, there are a lot of scouts in every single game watching these young players and they pick them up immediately. As soon as they're, they show signs that they could be true talent, they're, they're gone. And that's, Nobody, you know, everybody likes that. It's just the way it is. Uh, the uh, if if that point comes and you secure your qualification, three matches left, certain that you're going to get it done. What kind of party is going to happen uh, on the island? Oh wow! It's I think it's going to be absolutely crazy. You know, there were three thousand five hundred Icelanders in Amsterdam, which for an American probably doesn't sound so much, but that's one percent of a country. Yeah, and I was you you guys traveled that well to Croatia last year, right? That disappointment. Yeah, well, that was only about a thousand people, okay, I think. You right, know, right. but going to this is probably the biggest away, you know, support that Iceland has ever got, and uh, it was sold out. There would probably would have been more if we had more tickets. You know, Amsterdam is is an easy place to go to, short flight, and of course a great party city. So it was just a perfect occasion, and uh, you know, there were a lot of people there, and uh, obviously a tremendous party. I've seen that from my friends who went, and. Probably my biggest regret in life is <laughs> is going to be not going to Amsterdam for this amazing night. But I can assure you that on Sunday people will flood to the streets if if we clinch the Euro qualification. That's that's for sure. Okay, and what what kind of what kind of what's what's going to happen here? What kind of what kind of music are we listening to? What kind of uh, beverages are we consuming? What's what's happening at this party? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't I don't know if there's anything organized, but you know, all the bars are at the same place and. Uh, no, there's this square that I'm just going to guess that like tons of people are just going to go there and grab some drinks at the bar and take them outside and drink and sing, you know, that's yeah. kind of the European way. Just, you know, there doesn't have to be music. People are just singing some football songs and uh, and drinking beer. So that's something I could, could picture. But uh, I, I, so far, I don't know if there's anything, you know, specifically organized, right, but yeah. Icelanders usually find a way to, to drink, well, so I, that, I don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what I, that's what I was going to ask you, is what's the, what's the drink of choice, and how's the beer? Because uh, Trevor Award over here is a, is a, is a um, craft brew uh, connoisseur. I imagine that Iceland's got a, a pretty good burgeoning uh, beer industry. Absolutely. For, for such a small country, we, I'm very proud of a beer, and we have... We're witnessing uh, so many new uh, microbreweries popping up everywhere around the country that are just making this awesome beer, all from, you know, pale ale or white ale or 
IPA or you know whatever you want, you can yeah. get it. And That's and good. some That's of good. them are winning some awards abroad. So yeah, we have some pretty good beer. I'm, right. I'm at we, least I'm very happy with it. We're booking it a trip. Bud, it beats Bud Light. Okay, yeah, absolutely. Well, duh. I mean, we're gonna we're gonna book a trip. <laughs> we're gonna come to Iceland and drink the beer. All right. Um, you know, Iceland, Iceland in Euro 2016. Um, France yeah. is France is a, is a relatively easy place to get to. I imagine for Icelanders. The, oh, you, yes, 3,500 yes. people in Amsterdam uh, last night. I imagine that the traveling support will be uh, fairly significant, if not massive, uh, relative to the population of the country. Um, you know, Iceland, again, such a, a, a small country that is doing big things. What what exactly would the ex- expectations be? And and what I mean, is it is it one of those things? I mean, we saw the Irish make it and go and just be happy to be there and sing their butts off and have a great time. Yeah, yeah. How was Iceland going to handle a European championship? Uh, well, I think we're such, you know, I don't know if you, you should say, you know, narcissists, but we're so <laughs> full of ourselves that we probably, if we go there, we're going to, we want to do big, big things. We're like, I don't know if you watch the UFC, but, you know, Conor McGregor, he says, we're not here to take part. We're here to take over. There you go. And I probably, probably think that would be the Icelandic mentality because now we've seen, we beat the Czechs, we beat the Turks, we beat the Dutch twice and... I mean, there's no reason why we couldn't at least try to challenge to get out of a group, you know. So we'll have some, probably like Iceland always does, we'll have some really, really big expectations and then we'll just see if we'll be disappointed or not. But I think there will be tens of thousands of people who will go to France and frankly, I don't know how the country is going to function in the meantime because, you know, there will probably, I don't know if the stores are going to be open or if the hospitals are going to be open, but... (laughs) We'll see what happens. Yeah, um, the well, that's obviously the problem when you have a small population. Everybody's interested in, in <laughs> is going yeah, exactly. to. Uh, uh, we'll uh, probably just import some uh, some uh, foreign workers. <laughs> there you go. Um, it, at this point, would you would you say that that football is the the biggest sport in Iceland? Obviously, when you have a national team driving interest, that that helps. But you know, um, it just because Iceland's doing well in football doesn't mean football is the overwhelming most popular sport. No, no, that's, that, I mean, that's true, but in, in Iceland's case, it, it is. And football has probably always been our biggest sport. Handball is popular as well, but, but absolutely with, uh, you know, people who have never watched football in, or soccer in their life are now starting to watch and uh, starting to love it just because, you know, even my grandmother watched the game yesterday, you know, and she probably, that was probably the first soccer match she's ever seen. So, you know, <laughs> the team is getting the whole country aboard. All right, look, it's all about targeting for uh, for France next year. Well on their way to doing so. A, a monumental victory over the Dutch last night. But, you know, as with anything, we, we sort of always look into the future. Is there an identification happening? I mean, it, it has the machine started, and is it running efficiently enough to ensure that there's going to be a pipeline of Icelandic talent coming through in the next, say, 10, 20 years to keep Iceland on this level as uh, a team that can make noise in Europe? Oh, that's uh, that's the million-dollar question. And uh, to be honest, uh, I'm not sure yet. I feel that uh, I feel that the generations that have been coming after our golden generations are not you know, quite as... Uh, Quite as good. We we will have to see, but I'm I'm pretty skeptical about it, and I think we might be on a on a big high, and and that we might go down again in a few years. But we'll have to see. There are some young players, and of course the infrastructure is still there. It's just mm-hmm. about you know whether whether they'll be able to take the next step. But so far, I I don't exactly see who's going to 
replace those players who are doing so well right now but we'll see does that mean that you uh you personally and then the country as a whole is taking this situation more to heart and being more focused on enjoying the moment or uh, you know again yeah. we live in an impatient age alexander yeah 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 i think i think so i mean it's a it's a mixture of both i mean uh, some of course some people believe that this is just the beginning of of a great era, but some of us are also aware that this this Euro might technically, you know, possibly be the only big tournament we'll see in our lifetime. So it's just it just depends on how people look at it. But yeah, many of us are aware that this might turn out to be a very unique moment in our sports history. So okay. yeah, that's that's it. Yeah. All right. So uh, Kazakhstan on Sunday. That may be the opportunity to to secure the point that puts uh, Iceland in the European Championships in 2016 again. A potentially monumental achievement for a, a country nearly made the World Cup last year, uh, a, a country that uh, has decided to focus on teaching its players to be technical and uh, with everything that's that's uh, that's working again against Iceland, Alexander. To see this happen is, is pretty stunning. It makes you, it gives you faith again in, in football amidst a world that is very much being pulled down by corruption and greed. Absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Thank you so much for the kind words. And I think that's true. You know, everybody likes a Cinderella story and likes to see something new. And uh, I think overall, you know, if if we reach the Euros, or I almost want to say when, I think we'll get a lot of support, you know, for for being the David against the huge amount of Goliaths who are obviously going to be in this, taking part in this competition. That's uh, Alexander Anderson. He writes on football at F-O-T-B-O-L-T-I dot net. It's, I'm not have, sure how to even say that, Alexander. But, uh, <laughs> football T. <laughs> uh, football T. Okay, there you go. Uh, it's, uh, if you happen to read, read Icelandic, there's your source. Alexander Anderson joining us. Talk about Iceland's monumental win yesterday and uh, progressing to European championships in 2016. Alexander, thank you very much. Congratulations. Uh, get ready yeah, for the thank party. thank you, too. All right, get my ready. pleasure, my pleasure. <laughs> get ready for the party. Let's take a break. When we come back, we will, uh, we'll talk to you. We'll open up the phone lines on a Friday. U.S. Men's National Team, obviously what Iceland has done, European ch- Championship qualifiers. It's Soccer Morning, WorldSoccerTalk.com. Welcome back to Soccer Morning on World Soccer Talk with Jason Davis. We are back on Soccer Morning. It's a Friday show. Got some time to take your phone calls, talk to you about whatever is on your mind. Again, the United States hosting Peru tonight at RFK Stadium, 7.30 p.m. kickoff. Fox Sports Uno is the station if you're watching, which you will be. You'll be watching. Uh, Even if you're out and about, find a way to watch. We also have Jurgen Klinsmann's comments in the news. This is burning up the American soccer sphere in a lot of ways. There's a lot to unpack. He made comments about the performance at the Gold Cup. He made comments about the state of MLS and the, uh, the way it prepares players to play for the national team. He made lots of statements. He said lots of things. Whether or not they need context, I'm not so sure. Uh, maybe they do. He should probably be careful about explaining himself. But 
He's created some controversy. Now, are we being distracted here? Is this Clinton once again doing that thing where his sleight of hand makes us talk about stuff that doesn't relate directly to his performance, his team's performance on the field? Or, or is it something else? And what is he right about? What is he wrong about? Cam and Charlotte, what's going on, man? Hey, Jason. It's Cam. How are you doing? I'm doing well. What's on your mind? Listen, I just want to ask you two questions. The first is uh, about the USA as they go into this Peru match. How are you personally assessing this team's level of readiness for the Mexico game? And how will you evaluate Klinsman based on the run-up to the Mexico game and, um, and, and kind of how you kind of manage your expectations going into Mexico? I'm not sure that there's anything that can happen in the game against Peru or the game against Brazil that's going to make me feel overly confident, confident about the team heading into the Mexico game. I, I just don't think that these are friendlies. The, the results don't matter. It's very difficult to assess a team when you're using six substitutions when the level of intensity is not nearly what it's going to be when they take the field against Mexico. So I don't know that there's going to be a lot that can happen. But what I'm looking for, what I want to see and what I think a lot of people want to see is just a little bit more on the front foot, a little bit more clarity on how they want to play, some some ideas of how they're going to create chances going forward because so much of what happened in the Gold Cup was based on being outshot by numbers that are insane when considered uh, against previous results. So if 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 Klinsman is right, and we all need to be patient, and he's got a plan, then he needs to start showing at least some signs of that. And he needs to show as a coach in the moment that he can respond to what was a disappointing tournament and make enough changes or make the right changes to turn them into an effective team. So I want to see chances. I want to see shots. I want to see uh, players combining in, in the final third. But I also want to see defensively some sort of notion that he's got an idea who his best center back pairing is. Because I, I, you know, more than anything else, what you're going to have to do against Mexico is prevent them from scoring before you can cha- have a chance to win the game. I totally agree. I totally agree. Do you feel like this team has an identity going uh, into Mexico? No, I don't. No, I don't know how. I don't know how anybody could see it. The identity is put Michael Bradley in the middle of the field, put Clint Dempsey up top, <laughs> hope they figure something out, and scramble, scramble, scramble at the back. That that seems to be the that's identity. Exactly. That's what I was thinking too, Jason. You're right on. So I'll just move to my second question. When you look at the the, the loss that the NASL has put against. Uh, MLS. I just want to focus on USL and the progress that USL has made uh, this season. And, you know, obviously they're applying for D2 status. If you were comparing USL and NASL as far as pro- progress, maturation, development, I mean, do you, how, do you, how do you evaluate both leagues? Well, now the, the, the context for evaluation has changed because USL has willingly partnered with them. And by the way, there's no lawsuit, and what NASL's, NASL's issue is with U.S. soccer, not with MLS directly. Um, we'll see. Yeah, if, we'll, 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 well, I know it's fine. I just want to make sure that, that we, you know, we don't get ahead of ourselves here. While there's definitely a letter, and it's been leaked, and it's, uh, there's some publicity being brought up around this, nothing legal has started yet. Um, so USL partnering with MLS changes how you evaluate them. Uh, you know, there's the there's the USL or sorry, there's the there's the MLS reserve teams which are operating on one level. There's the independent USL teams which are operating on a different level, like uh, Harrisburg and and uh, Rochester and uh, Charlotte. There's some other teams like that. Um, 
And that is different in the way that NASL is approaching things. I actually do think that there's room between between the USL and MLS for NASL to carve out their spot. They don't want to do that. They want to go big, and they. I, I guess the the philosophy is that this is America. People aren't going to buy something that's sold as second rate. Okay, fine. Uh, I don't know that. I don't know that I, I'm I'm a big fan of USL going after second division status. I don't know what the point of that is. To be honest with you, and this goes back. Yeah, to, I agree. That, that goes back to the issue of of the 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 pyramid not being integrated and. If if it doesn't matter, you know, if we don't have promotion relegation, what what does it matter what your level is? Again, NASL has an argument about first division status bringing more commercial opportunity. That's restraint of trade. That's their argument. But when it comes to USL, I don't know that I get it. I think I agree with you on that, Jason. Living in Charlotte, with Charlotte now having a team, for me, it's about fans latching on to a local product, a local team that they can support. And for the team, for the fans to galvanize those teams where those teams have a chance to develop yeah. real young talent that can matriculate up the pyramid mm-hmm. and actually have an impact on their MLS team or NASL team or any team where they can get into the national yeah. Yeah. Uh, team it, spotlight. It, it comes down. We're seeing some youth coming through some real development. Yeah, and I, I mean, that wouldn't happens. you say that's yeah. the point for you too, or no? Yeah, no, I think that's the point. That should be the point. But then again, there's the independent teams who may have ownership groups who don't see themselves as just slotting in. Thanks for the call, Cam. Is slotting in as developmental tools of MLS, and maybe they don't want to be that, and that's fair. I think the the philosophical split here is when it comes to the idea of promotion and relegation. The philosophical split here is whether you believe we need clubs to establish themselves and create a fan base and get local interest first before we move into integrating the pyramid or if you imagine that we have to have promotion and relegation in order to in order to foster growth for these clubs because otherwise they won't be able to get to a point where they could survive that it's chicken and egg that's the problem let's go to our friend Ray in Milwaukee Ray have I given you a shirt uh no I haven't given uh, you a shirt I number think, right uh I'll take number two because I'm a twin. Okay, good. I like that. All right, Ray, what's on your mind? Yeah. Uh, well, uh, first, I would just like to say that I think it, that uh, I think it's going to look a lot like Major League Baseball sooner or later. Uh, you're going to have the have not teams, even with the uh, player spending, uh, with the first level of MLS. Uh, I really believe that that's what uh, soccer is going to look like here. It's not going to be a traditional pyramid scheme okay. or pyramid. Uh, all right. What else? Uh, uh, also, um, I don't understand why they they have this international break right after the European transfer window deadline. <laughs> uh, you got a lot of. I know you got to get these player these games in and play these games, but I truly believe that you know e- either you move the transfer window up or you you move these back. Yeah, I, I'm kind of with you on that. And first of all, the transfer window should close before any of the European seasons start. There's a somebody in the Bundesliga, I can't remember. Some executive said, "Let stop with this madness. Let's end this. That's in the window at August first. Let's get that done before these teams go into their season. Let's figure out who you have. Let's let's get rid of this business during the season. Oh, you know they played three games. Now they're gonna go find a strike. Let's get these teams settled. Let's get this business out of the way, Ray." But, you know, Jason, now, from an American perspective, all of our transfer or uh, trade deadlines are in the middle of the season. None of them even take place before the season. 
yeah, I suppose that's true. Yeah, that's true. I, I mean, I don't know. It, it's so, just it's just an odd situation. Ray, I got to move on. I got tons of people trying to get in today. All right, uh, have a good day. There goes Ray in Milwaukee. Good to hear from him. Uh, Landon, Salt Lake City. Hey, Landon. Hey, David. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing well. Hey, uh, so I want to talk about a year in a bit. Um, so, I mean, let, let's say, uh, you know, right now we, let's say we lose to Peru, Brazil, and Mexico. Is oh. Jurgen still untouchable? Oh. Yes. I mean, I, sadly, I think that's, yeah. the only, that's the only assessment that you can make based on the words, actions, and, uh, and perception that that's, you know, Galati and U.S. Soccer are giving us. Yeah, so so that's exactly what I thought too. So I found it funnier when we're hearing comments that Jurgen needs to do this, Jurgen needs to do this. Jurgen doesn't need to do a thing. No, of course, I mean, he can and sit that, back and do whatever he the, wants to do. That's where the frustration lies. Jurgen Klinsmann is untouchable. Jurgen Klinsmann has created again the magic, the genius of Jurgen Klinsmann is not necessarily for me on the soccer field in terms of managing a team. The genius is that he has created a situation where he is he can do no wrong either. Either, oh, I'm building, we lose, I'm building, we lose, I'm building, or they win, and they win, and he gets all that glory. It, it, it's, ama- it's, it's the best gig in the world. It's the best gig in the world. No, it, it's great. When I, when I get my next job, I'm going to call up Jurgen and figure out how do I work out a contract that it doesn't matter how I do my job, I'm not getting fired. Yeah. I'd love to hear how he works that out. Uh, hey, boss, you know, I, I know I screwed up the Jones Project. I'm really sorry about that, but I'm also I'm actually working on a long-term vision that's going to get us where we want to go as a company in five years. And and if you just stick with me, I know I can get you. Trust me. I know what I'm talking about here. Uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I'm try, I'll try and pull that one off today at work. We'll see there how that you goes. Go. Appreciate the call, Landon. Good stuff, man. All right. Thanks, uh, Landon in uh, Salt Lake City. My man, Robert, in L.A. I think he's number 11. What's hey, up, Robert? Can- Hey, good morning, Fred. I wanted to continue with the U.S. saying the first division standards, and kind of one of the arguments they say is like uh, NL say, like you know, lower divisions have smaller stadiums, or and it will just make it look bad. But if you look like across, that argument doesn't work like in European leagues or even closer at home, like in Mexico, because I've been I've been to many Mexico games in Liga MX, and there are smaller stadiums, and then no one ever says. This is making us look bad. Also in Europe, you know, like teams like Bortmid, they have like 10,000, and then there's a team in Spain that has 5,000 stadium. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Look, I, I realize that these standards are extremely arbitrary, Robert. I think there should be some standard for a first division. But again, I think we've already got this de facto situation that sort of sorts itself out. So it makes you wonder why on earth MLS or sorry, U.S. Soccer needs to do this in the first place. I mean, they're the ones sanctioning the leagues, and I guess that's why you have to have standards because you need uh, these leagues to know what they're working against. But without the pyramid working in in conjunction with each other, without the leagues being connected in some way, it, it's really down to man. It, I don't know. Again, it comes back to the antitrust element of it all, and whether or not whether or not U.S. Soccer believes that they have to protect MLS. Or MLS is damaged, and that's not a legal argument. That's not that's not me saying this is how they get around the the, the legal argument, and they'll beat NASL on that front because that's not legitimate. There's no there's nothing there. But from a soccer standpoint, I think you could reason yourself into a belief that U.S. soccer protecting MLS is ultimately what's what's best for for the game in the long run, if only because of our history and because cannibalizing each other doesn't doesn't work out. Um, but yeah, a, st- a standard with stadiums maybe 
you know, I think there should be one. You can't have teams playing in thousand seat stadiums, but there, but but where that level is is an open question. Yeah, I, I can understand the you know they're looking at the bigger picture, but just like imagine if you wait, but they're like, uh, sorry, Iceland, I know you're qualifying, but you have a small population, you can't come to the Euros. Well, okay, uh, that's well, what I want to say. And one last thing, real fast, Jason, before I hang up. Uh, what's wrong with the iTunes and uploading episodes? Uh, that's not a question for me. That's a question for Trevor Hayward. If you want to ask him, I'm sure he'll uh, happily answer your questions on Twitter. I, I don't know, Robert. I'm, I'm sorry, but sorry about that. We're working on it. Um, I, yeah, I, I just don't, I, I'm not saying that, uh, yeah, we're working on it. That's what I'm going to say. All right. All right. Okay. I understand. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Jason. Appreciate it, Robert. There you go. <clears throat> if you're having problems with iTunes, we do apologize. I think we're working on, uh, on solutions for that. Andrew in New York. What's up? Oh, I didn't click the button. Let's try that again. Andrew in New York. You're on the hey. air. Hey, I can hear you now. What's All right. Now? Yeah. Go hey, ahead. Hey, uh, two quick things. Um, First off, I, I didn't get a chance to call in when you were on your soapbox. Maybe it was last week uh, about a certain gentleman in lasers. Yes, uh, yes, but yes. I just wanted to say, uh, I've been listening to your show for, I don't know, maybe six months now. First time I heard it, the immediate thought I had was, this is finally like soccer discussion from a guy like that sounds like an American sports talk guy. Okay. <laughs> you know, I hope you don't take that the wrong way. But no, it, no, no. It was great. I, was I, like, I, hey, I appreciate like, that, Andrew. American flavored soccer. Uh, yes, exactly. Exactly. I mean, Yes, and, and, and no, that's what it felt like and there's, right away. And there, there's no shame in that. Yeah, there's no shame in that. Go go listen to those guys in Blazers, those men in Blazers too. That's fine. Go listen. Yeah, to no, them they're too, great. I listen to them. Just don't don't make a value ju- whatever. Just realize that we need Absolutely. to be ourselves sometimes too. Okay, go ahead, man. Absolutely no. So that was that, and then oh man, New York City FC. They are they are. I I think they're pretty much as good as as good as done. Yes, I I, I think Christ's comments. Probably, I don't know if they've done them done them in. I think he had every right to say what he said, just in terms of them not having the mental capacity to go through. But I, I, I don't think the the whole Pirlo thing was his idea. I think those were the the higher ups giving him something that he had to work with because it's a big game. And um, I, I don't think if Price is allowed to mold that team the way he molds that team. He doesn't bring in both Lampard and, and Pirlo like that. I agree with you, Andrew, and i got to move on, man. I appreciate the call. Um, he doubled down on these comments, by the way, criticizing uh, the players in his group. I'm a natural competitor and an emotional guy. I'm never going to apologize for that. Occasionally, I'm going to speak loudly about some things that I care about. I spoke loudly about the things I cared about, the thoughts I cared about, and I didn't apologize for those because that's how I truly feel. The players need to show up if they want to be here and be a part of this because I know the coaching staff does. I know the coaching staff. This is a, those are actually uh, the comments from after the game, but he did, he did not back down. Tyler, Virginia, you're on the air. Hello, Jason. Go on. What's uh, going I just on? Call and, uh, uh, I just talked about, talk a little bit about Jurgen with you. Um, so I think, uh, I think that there was some truth, uh, you know, in what he said as well as, you know, some elements of him, you know, trying to cover his own tracks as he uh, has been known to do. Um, so, I mean, for me, I, I, I think it's just kind of indisputable that, uh, you know, Michael Bradley or Clint Dempsey has been tested week in and week out in the same way that they were at, you know, a club like Tottenham or Roma. But on the flip side, I say, you know, make, I think that, you know, maybe maybe it's also true that there are plenty of soccer fans, myself included, who are still, you know, really, really, really trying to understand the nuances of the game, you know, on an X's and O's level. 
But I mean, that being said, like none of us are stupid, you know. Well, we know, you know it's, what's, what we, what we what, see out there. What's bothersome about this, Tyler? First of all, those those MLS comments I haven't actually put them on the air. Go find them. He basically says you're not being challenged for your spot in MLS. Which again, there's some truth to that. But this is a part of the sleight of hand he's doing. Um, but if if you're going to call out an entire country's soccer fan base as un, uneducated or undereducated, don't don't. I mean, it's it's one of those things. It's like um, I'm mad at you. But I'm not going to tell you why. You have to figure it out. Wait, what? Wait, what? Yeah. Like, no, how, that's not how this is supposed to work. You're if, if <laughs> it's 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 ridiculous. It's you can't you can't possibly understand what I'm doing. So I'm not even going to bother telling you. I don't. That doesn't. Well, yeah, I mean, like it's, that. First of all, he's yeah. completely disrespecting everybody involved, which is obvious, and he's refusing to own up and, and be accountable for what he's done as as head coach. I mean, it's. Again, whether or not you believe Jurgen Klinsmann is pushing this team in the right direction, his the words that come out of his mouth just fly in the face of anything that, that approaches the a, a proper way of, of explaining himself or give. I mean, he wants to talk and talk and talk, but he never says anything of import. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think that that's also true sometimes, and, and it's kind of like even when you know he does. Like I said, like maybe say something that that has an element of truth in it. it it's all it's always camouflaged, you know. Uh, you know, in some larger comments um, that kind of cause everyone to not be able to just take what he's saying seriously. Yeah, so it's like we yeah. can't we can't really like Again, you know tease out this truth that's the, in there because he said so much other kind of like craziness. Yeah, this is the this is the the, the uh, safety net he's built for himself. Thanks for the call, Tyler. He's built himself this safety net where if the results go bad, it's because we can't understand what he's doing. But if the results are good, then obviously it's bask in the glory and be uh, the guy who's taking the United States to a next level. Say Italy, winning in Italy, winning in Holland, winning in Germany. Gio, you're on the air. What's up? Got to do a rapid fire. Hey, uh, yeah, you're on all cylinders today. Um, Yeah, so I wanted to talk. Uh, or ask you really quickly how you think this NASL thing is going to uh, work out for uh, San Antonio, who is obviously you know still trying to get their MLS act together, but now we're hearing word that uh, the city and the county are trying to buy Toyota Fields from Hartman, Sport and Spurs are involved somehow with this. Yeah, nobody's talking about buying the actual team. The word is that Spurs want a USL franchise before making the jump to MLS. It's a big mess over here. That's wh- I didn't know that. Maybe we'll have to dive into San Antonio a bit. I think we've got a couple friends down in that area. Um, uh, that's that's interesting. I don't know how it's going to play out for San Antonio. That that doesn't sound good. Look, and, and that's the other thing about this. All of these clubs from NASL are along for the ride, whether they want to be or not. And you have to wonder if there are certain teams in this group. I've always said that you know one of the the indicators of where NASL fits into this whole thing right now is that clubs are actively working to get to MLS uh, because it's a higher standard. Because for the owners, it represents a better business opportunity, a more um, a, a, a more solid business opportunity investment. So. If NASL is going to get to the level where they can challenge MLS, then then they've got a lot of work to do, and that's for a lot of people. That's that's the issue. I, I think they have a legal uh, legal stand. Thanks for the call, G. I got to move. Uh, they they have a legal standing here, but that's kind of immaterial when it comes to whether or not they're ready to challenge MLS. I, I don't know what's going to happen. Shane in Indiana, you got to be the last call. What's going on? Well, I'm the last call. I'm just 
pissed like everybody else is about these Clemson comments that somehow we don't know enough about the game to understand why we got our butts handed to us by teams that really are inferior to us talent-wise and experience-wise. Uh, I know you're just the same thing a lot of other people have said, uh, but you know I think it's time for Clemson to hit the road and bring Winalda in. As far oh, as no. Thanks for the call, Shane. Oh, my goodness gracious. <coughs> That's the first time I have ever heard that. Shane just, on this on this show, on Soccer Morning on a Friday, Shane from Indiana just called for Eric Winalda to take over the U.S. national team. I'm, I am stunned. I mean, it'd be fun, but I'm stunned. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Eric Winalda, I, I think the man deserves a shot as a head coach somewhere. I'm not sure he's ready for the national team. Let's uh, wrap up this edition of Soccer Morning. We've had an extra long edition because you guys wanted to talk to us, and we did two excellent guests. Thank you very much. To Brian Sharetta from American Soccer Now, Alexander Einerson. Make sure you go find them on Twitter and their work on the internet. So that's it. We're done. It's a big week. We um, got USA Peru tonight. I'm looking forward to it. I'll be out at RFK Stadium. If you tweet at me, maybe I'll be able to shake your hand and share a beer with you. Let's get going. Make sure you go to backhill.com slash store, by the way. Buy yourself some stuff, and we'll talk to you on Monday later. Disappear What I put my heart on every curve